racing through alleyways under neon lights, customizable avatars, and the world's biggest Tuesday racing series. We've got a good show for you today talking about Zwift, going inside the game with the Zwift Insider. But first, we need to talk about some in real life news about uh, American racing here in the U.S. with the USA Crits fallout. And joining us to speak about this is a friend of Velenu's, Rebecca Reza. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? Good morning, Ben. Good. How are you? I'm doing it's well. It's been a then. long weekend. It, it has been. And uh, Rebecca, for those of you who don't know, is a great freelancer who's worked with us. And she also works with uh, many races and many teams. So you've had experience working on both sides of the fence with USA Crits and you've also worked with other events recently, like you were down at the uh, Fayetteville World Cup. Um, yes. So ex- extensive knowledge of the races inside and out. So could you just please bring us up to speed on what has happened in the last five days with USA Crits, uh, with uh, charges against Scott Morris servicing and his subsequent departure from the organization. So we learned, um, it kind of hit social media on Friday, uh, that Scott Morris, who's the managing director of USA Crits, um, was suspended from attending races, right? Um, uh, we just learned right before Winston-Salem, so that was the finals for USA Crits of the season. Um, and so uh, Legion, for example, they went to social media, announced they were out of USA Crits, and that kind of started the snowball effect of everything kind of coming out about what was happening. Um, there had been inklings kind of among teams and at the race, but it really hadn't hit social media. And so hit social media, a couple teams announced, and we'll get into that about, you know, we're, we're not, we're announcing our departure. We're not going to be participating in any USA crits events that followed by a couple of events themselves. Um, but it, you know, it was, it was very confusing, a lot of information. And, it, um, I know a lot of us, a lot of our colleagues out there too, we, we had a long weekend of a lot of phone calls, a lot of um, sifting through um, information that was out there to try to kind of uh, really pinpoint what was happening. So basically, uh, there was a case in 2008, he was indicted uh, with 45 counts of child porn, although it was actually after several years, um, it came out to basically a charge of computer theft. Um, and so we don't know very much still what the suspension was based off of. We don't know any other potential victims out there. We don't know. All we know is a suspension and what it means for USA Crits. Yes. And we know the suspension was a temporary suspension from the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, which is a third party organization, much like the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency that works uh, hand-in-hand with USA Cycling, which is the governing body here for the U.S. So the, susp- the suspension came from Safe Sport. Uh, we contacted Safe Sport, and they said we can't, we, Safe Sport, cannot discuss details of any particular case, uh, but we can say that th- these temporary measures are what are put in place to protect potentially participants while we investigate. So that's all they would say on the record as far as what what the cause of the end of investigation was. Safe Sport would not speak to that. Uh, we did speak to Scott Morris, who said that this does stem back to that case from 2008. Uh, he insists his innocence. Uh, he says you can go back and look at the record. And, and as you say, the conviction was for computer software theft. Um, but cycling social media was ablaze for certain. And uh, regardless of the legality of this case, 
what we know is that Scott Morris is no longer with USA Crits, and a number of teams are now debating their future because USA Crits was for many teams, for, for many American Criterium teams, kind of the, a cornerstone of their operation. So could you explain like how USA Crits operates in terms of like, do they own these races? Do the Criteriums own themselves? How, how does the USA Crits series work and, and what has it meant for teams? So basically, uh, there we know it's a national crit series. It's the only national crit series in the United States right now. It's streamed. Every race has been streamed live for free for fans. So it's a it's a great uh, narrative throughout the season to watch cycling live. You know, as it happens with these races, uh, there's it's great for spectators. Um, you know, great for teams and their sponsors because they get, you know, they're live. Um, people can watch the races. It's not just, you know, who's there, the spectators locally. So it's got a live, you know, worldwide audience every uh, race when it when it takes place. So from a marketing value standpoint, it's, it's huge for teams and their sponsors that uh, primarily focus on crit racing. Um, but outside of that, USA Crits does not own many of the almost – all of the events that are part of this series. The only um, USA Crits is under the banner of Swagger, um, which is basically an events promotion mark sports marketing company. And they own Athens Twilight and they run Speed Week and, of course, manage USA Crits. But they're not like uh, Scott Morris, for example, as working as a managing director. He's not a race director at any of these events. There's local independent race organizations and race directors that manage each event. Um, and then, so USA Crits comes in. Um, they typically will provide um, the announcer for the race. Um, and then they have the they manage the awards for the the pro categories because there's there's also you know the the amateur aspect of these races because a lot of we don't see that on this live streaming. But there's a big you, you, you know, can so if you turn in early enough. You can. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's true. This is true. Um, they they do show a number of the amateur races early on in the stream, but. Um, but yeah, so they, they manage the award ceremony and the, the jerseys and, and this, you know, the, the prizes for the D1 teams and they manage the streaming and the announcing. But outside of that, everything else is the local race organization um, and, and the local race organization's money. Um, they'll, they'll pay a little bit into the, the streaming part of it, but most of it, most of it is locally run. And now teams... And the races are scrambling to figure out what to do because, you know, they uh, a lot of them see value in working together in some capacity and collaborating. Um, and But now many teams and races are wanting to dissociate themselves. So we've seen a couple races already, like a couple teams, publicly step back. Yes. So it was spearheaded by Legion of Los Angeles. Um, we know and we'll, we'll have a story coming up on Bella News soon. Yeah. Um, but about uh, basically the the relationship between legion and, and usa crits hadn't been the best the second part of the season but they ca they came out early on friday and they announced that they were um due to you know revelations they the statement that they made on on twitter that kind of started everything snowballing this weekend that they would not be participating in any uh usa crits series or events and they would be pulling out uh for next season that was quickly followed by El velo um and then you know, throughout the weekend, it just kind of snowballed. Uh, Nashville local cycling, good guys, uh, Team Wolf Pack, they kind of followed suit. 
And then um, Tulsa Tough, which was the opening race of the series this, this season, they announced that they would not be taking part of the series. And that was soon followed by Boise Twilight, which was uh, the second race in the series this season. Um, but the rest of the races, you know, I spoke to uh, a lot of races. I spoke to a lot of teams and, uh, you know, they're just kind of sitting back trying to figure out what will be the best way to move forward. Um, uh, so, you know, and then of course, USA crits, it took some time to release the statement and respond to all of this. So we, you know, it, it was posted early Sunday morning or Sunday morning. Uh, and so, uh, you know, a lot of teams were waiting for that. Um, and then we saw the team statement yesterday. And the team statement said, basically, we, these 17 undersigned teams want to continue racing a national criterium series. They were careful not to say USA crits, but clearly the the concept of a a national series holds value for these teams. They want to continue in some capacity. What that looks like, we shall see. One thing we shall also see is what uh, a new form of bike racing looks like here in a couple weekends with Into the Lion's Den, uh, a race put on by Legion of Los Angeles. Um, In some ways, it's a a refresh of a concept that was tried a few decades ago, the National Cycling League, which is a region, a city or region-based team concept as opposed to a trade team concept. So I'm fascinated to see how that will work. Um, They, they, Into the Lion's Den, announced uh, the team structure coming up. So you've got, you know, a Miami squad, you've got a Sacramento team, uh, you've, got, you've got a few different city-based teams. Um, with trade teams, you've got sponsors sponsoring them. With cities, how, how will this work? Could you explain what, what we are going to see here in a couple of weekends? It's interesting. So Legion has some uh, a lot of different ideas that they're trying to see um, trying to, they're going to be launching here, um, at starting at this race next in a couple of weeks or next week, actually. Um, but basically, yeah, they want it under city banners. They want, um, you know, to design like different jerseys with writers' names and their numbers on the jerseys, kind of like other major sports like baseball or football. Um, but as we know, a lot of these trade teams, they are, you know, they, are paid by their sponsors to wear their sponsor's name on their jerseys. And so that's something that they are not able to do. Um, these sponsors put in a lot of money to these trade teams to support them, to um, help them function and continue. And that's part of the deal that they, you know, in their contracts is, you know, they're wanting that advertisement of being at the races and having the logo splashed across you know, their jerseys. And especially if they're winning, you know, that that's, sure. that's the money shot. So, um, you know, while I'm sure, you know, some teams would probably, yeah, maybe, but contractually with their sponsors, I think it's, I think it would have been impossible for them to agree to that. Um, though it's an interesting concept. Um, but I, I did want to mention quickly, we did talk to a lot of teams, uh, you know, uh, about, their thoughts on everything. Unfortunately, a lot of it was off the record. So this is back to the, the so, USA crits, the, the yeah, team's thoughts the on USA, USA crits. crits. Exactly. Yes. yes, yes. Exactly. And so, and, and they did mention, um, uh, you know, a lot of like for, with the, into the lion's den, um, 
we're gonna we're not gonna see a lot of the big names um, outside of Legion. We're not gonna see a lot of the big names from the other teams, only because it was kind of an, it was announced late in the season, and they already had other plans. Like there's a lot of these riders also race track. And so the track season is up and running, and uh, a lot of a lot of these other riders are already, you know, um, uh, racing track. So they don't they don't have the time, and uh, uh, you know they're they're busy with that. So they weren't able to participate until the line's done. And so um, so it's going to be interesting because the field is not going to be what we see at USA Crits um, and what we've seen like at Tulsa Top. Um, things like that. So, so we'll see what happens, but it's going to be an interesting concept. And I will say also, cause they, you know, it's a big prize purse, but it's not the biggest prize purse we've seen in history for a one day event. So it's, it's not it's the first one, $100,000 is the prize purse yes. on offer. Yeah. So we, you know, with the, with the crits, uh, with the crit in Charlotte, uh, I think it was back in the nineties, early nineties, mid nineties. Uh, you know, I think their, their highest price purse was 175,000. So almost double what Legion is doing. Is it a big price purse for sure? (laughs) But there was some, there was some inklings about that and some, some notes in the media about that. And, and so I just definitely wanted to clarify that. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. And, and another interesting point is that, uh, the host race, the host team, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the team that's hosting the race, Legion of Los Angeles, stands a good chance to net a good chunk of this uh, said $100,000 prize purse. So that's another interesting wrinkle with this race. But it's interesting. I mean, they're 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 sending their A team, which you know they didn't send their A team to you know a lot of the last final uh, races at crits like of the crits, uh, giving a number of reasons, sponsor reasons, and others. Um, so. So it's going to be interesting. Not to say that there's not other, you know, talent, uh, you know, in the field. It's just, you know, the best buddies, uh, you know, like Travis McCabe, you know, the, the, um, you know, and on the women's side, Team Wolfpack, you know, the Colavito. We're not gonna, we're not gonna see those riders there, unfortunately. Well, I'll be interested to see who shows up, how it plays out, and uh, what bike racing in America looks like in 2022. But Rebecca Reza, thank you very much for your insights. Good to speak with you. Thank you for having me. And now we will seg from the real world of racing to the ever-expanding, exciting world of indoor racing with Zwift. And today I'm excited to welcome on to the Vel News podcast, Eric Schlangy, the Zwift Insider. How are you, Eric? I am great, Ben. My my legs hurt after you beat me in today's ZRL race. But other than that, I'm feeling good. Yeah, that, that was a, a, a good, you know, type two type of fun time. That was yeah, a treat to be able to race with you this year in this season of uh, WTRL. and want to talk about that. And for those folks who don't know, Zwift Insider is a magnificent resource for all things Zwift related, whether you're looking to you know, educate yourself on courses or gear or tips about riding, racing and training. And Eric has been doing this for a long time. I've been a long time reader and now a first time speaker interviewer with Eric. So I'm curious to, you know, Eric, pick your brain about some of these things. Uh, and also there's uh, some new Zwift World uh, tidbits coming out. I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on those. But before we get into your tips and tricks, and also like, I want to know, you know, what's your gear? What are you riding? I see you've got your, uh, is that a, a kicker bike behind you? That is, but that's actually, I don't ride that. That's my uh, my cousin Boons, who I've I've written a few articles about on Zwift Insider. He's been training with me, a newbie cyclist. And uh-huh. mine is right behind that, but I ride a, my uh, my specialized Roubaix 
Aha. But first, if you could just take us back a bit as to you know how you got started at Zwift Insider, and and despite the name of Zwift Insider, you are not in fact a Zwift employee. Is that is that correct? Zwift Insider is still a separate thing, or are you in fact part of Zwift, the enterprise? Yeah, it's still a separate thing. So so the story <clears throat> I'll tell you is I got I, I first signed up for Zwift about six years ago, so it would have been like October two thousand fifteen. Um, I had. I had just gotten back into road cycling seriously uh, about a year before that. So it was my first real winter indoors. And I discovered Zwift, thought it was amazing, went, went in headfirst and realized that there, there were a lot of people asking questions and there wasn't much documentation. Like a lot of the, a, a lot of the support was happening in Facebook, essentially. And Zwift really had no knowledge base, no support team, really. It was a small team, very startup, very beta so I thought I'll build a website and I'll start writing some posts that answer the questions that I keep on seeing and the answers I have that I'm researching answers to. So that, so I, I joined in October, they started charging for access in November. And then in December is when I launched Swift Insider. Back then it was called Swift blog, swiftblog.com. Uh, and that was that was the start of it. And I ran it for a couple of years. It got more and more popular. And then I reached out to Zwift, I think after about two years. And I said, hey, guys, I would love to do this more. I'm just kind of, it's just this little hobby project, but it's getting a lot of traffic. Would you be interested in sponsoring it in some way to help me just defray site costs and help me justify putting some time into it? And they said, yes, we'd love to. We think that you're providing something that's valuable. So they so they agreed that that's when I actually signed a contract with Swift that had that includes an NDA. So they they tell me some things that I can't share, uh, but they also provide some monthly funds to help sponsor the site, basically. And now is this a full time operation for you? Because as a reader, it seems like there's uh, an avalanche of fresh content on there regularly. Yeah, it's it's close to that. I. Full time. I've been self-employed for years, uh, and it's it's probably three quarters of my day. But yeah, the the relationship with Zwift HQ has been great. They early on they said we we kind of see you like a like Mac Rumors is to Apple, where you provide kind of a needed outlet where you're able to publish stuff that we wouldn't be able to publish corporately. Like like a for instance, a review of a trainer. Yes. Zwift is never going to review trainers. Yes. But that information needs to be out there. Uh, so, so we've had a great partnership, and they'll they'll give us some views into what's coming down down the road. They they'll answer my questions quickly when I email them. Um, it's it's worked out well. Good symbiotic relationship. Yes, but you can still be independent and write what you want to write, and it's a great resource for people like me. Like before our race today, I was on your site looking. Okay, what is this? What is this course for racing today? What are the what are the pinch points? What do I need to do? Um, and and in stocking your Zwift Power account, I, I appreciated the bio there. Creator of Zwift Insider, finder of novel ways to lose races, and lover of all lover of cycling and all things Zwifty. It also says you've done as of you know the race we just did together, six hundred thirty-seven races. That is an awful lot of Zwift races, Eric. How what is what's that break down to like on an average week? <laughs> When you said that I'd done that many races, I thought, surely I haven't done that many races. <laughs> and I went on Zwift Power, and lo and behold, you're right. Uh, yeah, um, 
I, I mean, I, I probably average like two races a week at this point. I, I'm kind of an every other day, like a lot of cyclists, like I can't race back to back days. So Tuesday is like my most common race day. Um, Thursdays is usually a, a race or a hard workout of some sort. And a lot of times on Saturdays, I might do a race early in the morning and then I might head outside just to ride with friends who, uh, a lot of the local friends that I ride with, especially mountain bikers, aren't, they're not super strong. So I'll kill my legs on Zwift and then go out and join them and just enjoy, enjoy the stroll on the single track afterwards. So yeah, I mean, some weeks I'll do three races, but I'd say I average about two. I see. And, and you clearly know what you're doing. So, so full disclosure, my band of nerdy brothers that I race with is the a group of, from stages cycling. Uh, including my buddy Benjamin Sharp, who's an Olympic coach, among other things. And he can dork out about the numbers like no one else. You know, for instance, when we'll do our team time trials, he'll he'll get everyone's power files and break them down in a spreadsheet and look at your power when you're on the front versus when you're sitting in. And if there's not a big enough delta, he'll, you know, he'll call you to task for not, oh, yeah. not drafting well enough. One of those. And so point, you know, point being the guy knows his stuff. He knows looking at his numbers. And so he, when, when you won, when you won the race last week, you know, he went in, like, okay, what did Eric do here? And he's like, okay, Eric won the race. And he did so with a lower average power watts per kilo than the, you know, 10 riders behind him. So you, you clearly know what you're doing here. This Swift insider thing is not just a, you're, you're practicing what you preach. So I want to hear like, what, what are some of your, your some top tips for, for racing in Zwift? Sure. I mean, I am a, I, I'm really good at being lazy as much as possible. Um, so I do, uh, I, I do draft well, I think. Uh, but yeah, top tips for racing. I've got, I've got a few. Um, well, let's, let's start with the preparation. Like what, yeah, what, what do you do? before a race in terms of, you know, looking at the course or, or even like the warm up. like what's, yeah, what's your, what's your preparation for a race? Well, the first thing I would say when it comes to prepping for Zwift racing is I think it's, it's smart to train your, your one to five minute power. We Zwifters talk a lot about FTP, but what really wins you races, I think is the one to five minute stuff. You got to be able to hang with the front pack in the first few minutes of the race, which are always pretty hard probably the first two to three minutes <clears throat> need to be able to hold that high power. And then a lot of times at the end of the race, uh, especially in a course like crit city where it's a short lap and on the final lap, you'll see you know, about halfway into it, riders will start going full bore and you've got to be able to hold high power for, I don't know, 60 to 90 seconds and be able to sprint at the end of it. So training, training for those race starts and race finishes and the short little climbs that are in the races so that you can stay in the front group. I think that's really important. Um, knowing your route is super important. I'm amazed by how many racers on Swift will will do a race and they'll have no idea what the route is. Uh, My teammates are know, like this. Yeah, not only do they not know what which route they're racing, they don't know like the length of it. They don't they don't know where the climbs are. You would never do that in an outdoor race, right? You would never just like rock up to the front line and go, okay. Hey, how, how far is this? Is this a flat course or is it a climb? Am I going to be out here for three hours or like, but, but we do it on Zwift because the, you know, the barrier to entry obviously for the race is so low. Sometimes you can get away with that, but, uh, I highly recommend doing some research on the route, especially if it's an important race for you. Uh, Zwift Insider is a great source for that. I've, I've tried to create detailed 
route pages for every single route in, in such a way that it makes it really easy to research it. So we've got a page for every route on Zwift. There's like 150 routes at this point. And they've got, we've got profiles, you've got distances, you've got Velo viewer profiles of it, Strava links, all that stuff. That's um, super cool. So yeah, and that's, knowing, that's, that's what I did today was I went to your site right up on today's course. Yeah. And then I printed out the little route profile and wrote down the duration, the, you know, approximate durations of those climbs just so I could, when I was feeling sorry for myself, be like, okay, just like another two more minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, if you, if you didn't had no idea, like, is this climb four minutes or is it an hour? That's, that's helpful information. Yeah. Yeah. You got to know the length of those crucial points, those pinch points, like which is basically the climbs and you have to know what happens after the climbs. So like, can I, can I empty myself on this four minute climb? And is there going to be a nice descent right after it? Or is there another climb or is there a sprint segment? Like you got to know that stuff if you want to maximize your results. Um, what else? Get an adequate warm up in. There's a lot of people who don't do that. They just, they just log in and go. And, and then the, the big start happens and they blow up in the first three minutes because they haven't warmed up. So, I mean, 10 minutes minimum. I usually do about 25 minutes of a warm up before I do a race. So just like you would outside. In, just like you would outside. Yeah. Get your heart rate up to at least close to that race, that race level. For me, it's 160 BPM. I've got to do a few sprints, get my heart rate up to that. And then I know I've kind of broken the ice and I'm ready. Um, and the last thing I would say, again, this is just for race prep. I would say like there's easy ways to practice racing on Zwift. So pace partners are a great way to do it. The bots that are always running on Zwift, uh, I, I ride with the, with C cadence a lot, which is just ride at kind of my like zone two pace for me. And it's a really good way to just practice your positioning in the group practice, never going off the front practice, try to be like, like I, I usually sit about three to five riders back from the front. Yes. If it's a decent size group um, that, that gets you pretty close to the, the maximum draft effect you're going to get anyway but it makes it so there's not going to be a gap that opens in front of you and you get, you get dropped when someone attacks. It puts you in a pretty, I think it's a, a pretty good sweet spot. So if you can manage your power, I mean, it's all, you don't have brakes on Zwift. This isn't outdoors. So the only way you move up and back is just by modulating your power. And that takes practice to pay attention to the screen and ease up and, and accelerate a little bit to maintain that position. And you can even do practice races too. just hop into a race and go, this is just a play race. I'm just to I, do maybe I did a series of races. Oh, it's been a while now, maybe a couple of years ago. I, I was doing a race every Saturday and my whole goal for the race was to see how low my wattage could be, but still stay in the front pack. Yes. It was a double draft race on a pretty flat route. It was, it was the P race is what it's called. And I had a lot of fun just sitting in and going, okay, I'm, I'm trying to go as easy as possible, but that teaches you, it teaches you stuff just and but sometimes i'll do the opposite too like crit city sometimes i'll do it where every other lap i put in a hard attack and see how long i could stay off the front and it's not very long <laughs> but yeah. it's still it's good training like you can you can treat the race as a workout or practice positioning practice attacks it doesn't cost you any money you know it's not like outdoors where you're you're wasting three hours of drive time and 50 bucks to practice a race you can do it all you want on Swift. absolutely so yeah those are my tips for for prep. And how about in the race? Let's start with the, the end of the race first. 
how do you know when to start your sprint? Uh, that's something I managed to screw up every time and have done so the last few weeks of either starting too early or waiting too late. And obviously it's course dependent, but, but what are you looking at? You know, outside you're looking at other riders, you're looking at the finish line and then you're listening for, you know, guys shifting or standing up inside. You <laughs> yeah. can watch riders watts per kilo to turn orange that's that's I'm looking at that and I'm looking at the yeah. finish line and that's not adequate. And again, yeah, you're you're winning races with lower power. What's what's what, what are you looking at for a finishing sprint? It, it is. It's a lot of things. Um, part of it. I think part of it is just practice. I I run a I, I lead the a sprint to Palooza ride every Friday morning. So we practice. I need to come join the, this. We, we practice the sprint segments. Yeah. It's really good. We, we, we don't sprint usually to the finish lines that are in most races, but we, we sprint on the sprint segments. Um, so just learning where those sprint segments are, it helps a lot for ZRL where we're doing those intermediates because you get to know all the sprints. Um, but there, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Like, uh, I mean, we could look at last week's ZRL race, the, my only ZRL win ever. Uh, as an example, I part of it was the power up. So I knew that I had an arrow power up going into it. Uh, so that changes things. Like if I had a van power up, I would approach it differently than if I had an arrow, um, a van power up, I go, okay, I'm going to use this to conserve my energy as much as possible. I'm going to activate it, you know, 45 to 30 seconds before the finish line and try to sit on a guy's wheel before I come around them. That's what I would do if I had a van to maximize it. Uh, but with an arrow, I know that I can attack off the front with that thing activated and it's going to, it's going to help me go faster and I don't necessarily have to be on someone's wheel. Um, so it, it's more of a, more of an offensive sort of a, sort of a power up. Um, what else? Distance to the line matters a lot. Like in the last maybe 500 meters, I start, I, I'm really keyed in looking at, at the riders. And if one of them jumps, I'll usually try to get on his wheel. I'll just sit on his wheel and then as he, as he eases up, I'll, I'll power up then and try to go around him. But then if it gets, I've also been in races where it gets to like 200 meters and no one's sprinted yet. Yes. And that's when, that's when I go on the offensive and I, and that's basically what happened last week in the ZRL races. We got to that spot where I thought, man, we're, you know, I've got this arrow power up. It's 15 seconds long. We're going, sheesh, it was like 70 kilometers per hour down this hill. I'm like, I think we only have about 20 seconds left and no one's gone yet. I'm just going to go. Uh, so it's, it's those kind of timing things too. Usually I wait, usually I don't, I'm not a guy that instigates finishing sprints. Um, and I'm not saying that that's the best approach. I'm just saying that's how I, <laughs> that's how I am as a writer. Uh, I, I, I probably should do, do some longer attacks and some, and instigate sprints a little bit more often, but I'm so, I'm so used to sitting in and, and drafting, I think, that sometimes that gets in my head and I, I wait too long. Well, you did it just right last week, so congrats on that. How about race tips now? Go back to the start of the race, even before the race. You know, One thing that I learned from Zwift Insider is that you want to get into the pins. You want to join the race absolutely as soon as that is open to you, which is 30 minutes out. And in doing so, that puts you at the front of the start line, just like in real life. If you get there first, you can get on the front of the line. But unlike real life, you can then leave and you know, <laughs> yes. exit out of the event and go right around and meet up with your buddies. And then when, you come, back, when you come back, you're, you're 
somebody's been holding your spot for you. So, so thanks with insider. <laughs> yeah, that was important, especially uh, this week in, in ZRL where that first minute was just nuts. We, everybody was like, I got to get in early because we're just going to be sprinting for 60 seconds. Yes. It was worse yeah. to both worlds of a Zwift's normal, super hard start fully anaerobic before the gun even goes off, followed immediately by a sprint. So yeah. tips for, for starting. I would say just really expect it to be a hard start. Uh, spin up your – one mistake people make is they they don't start pedaling until the clock hits zero. That's a sure way to just get dropped from the very beginning. You only make that mistake once. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, be, be spun up, you know, at a – I don't know. I'm usually probably around 400 watts or so when it, the clock hits zero, just so you jump off the line decently quick. Um, I don't. I, I'm very rarely the the front rider when we go, but I'm trying to be, you know, a couple bike lengths from the front, so that if it if it stretches out, I don't find myself gapped off the back. So that's basically it. Just be be ready. Be ready to go hard for a couple of minutes and try to try to stay somewhat near the front so that if it stretches out, you don't get stuck in a chase group. Yep. You call it ZRL. I've been calling it WTRL ZRL, the Zwift mm -hmm. racing league. I was looking at stats for that, you know, 1800 teams for the season, 10,000 plus re racers every single Tuesday. I mean, I've been to some big <laughs> Tuesday night races in different spots, but never been to a Tuesday race with, with 10,000 people. That, so what, what's the secret sauce for this race series being so successful? Yeah, it's crazy. 10,000 racers. <clears throat> yeah. Well, well, WTRL is the name of the, the company. Actually they're incorporated. Um, and then ZRL is the name of the actual event. So you've got the Zwift Racing League, which is run by WTRL. Um, secret sauce. Uh, I, I don't think it's any one thing, but I'll, I'll tell you the, the handful of things that I think kind of combine to make it what it is. The first, I would say, is they WTRL put in the work for a couple of years doing their Thursday team time trial series. Uh, they kind of they kind of pioneered that and made it really big, made it really popular. They built this whole back end system around it to track everything, and they built a really good reputation with the racing community that like, hey, we have we have structure, we have rules, and we're going to execute every week, and it's going to work well. Uh, so so that's part of it is they they put in the the sweat into it. Um, well, I guess I should, I, should, I, should, I should clarify that it, it's a, a different setup in that unlike most WIFS races where anyone can jump in at any point, this is a team-based series that you register yes. for as a, as a team. And every week you're racing the same set of teams. And it's a, a minimum of four riders per team. And then it's a fixed number of teams in each division. And you and I are in division like 497 or something like this. <laughs> it's amazing how many different divisions there are. So it's, it's, it's a fixed team-based series yeah it's, it's di different than just your just your typicals with scratch race it's a it's much more formalized and structured and planned and and i think that's another uh, another part of the secret sauce another ingredient in it is the team element you don't have that in all, all those with races you see on the calendar you know i'd say 98 percent of them aren't team races you can bring your team there and you can race as a team if you want but it's not a team race it's not even a points-based race it's just a scratch race and not really a team element. So yeah, having, having the same guys on your team 
that, that you're on discord with every week, you build that, that camaraderie and then also racing against the same folks, like seeing your name on every week there. And there's two guys, uh, I was reminded this week I, of these two guys that I've got one's on the Vikings team. One is on the TBR team. And we seem to end up in the same spot in the race every time these yeah. two guys. So I've got these, these guys that show up every week and we're like, we're really competitive with each other. And that's super cool that where you get to know them week after week, you get to know who you're against to go, Oh, that, that guy's going to get dropped on this climb. That's what they say about me. And then, <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh wait, I can beat that guy in a sprint. But, you know, if, if I can survive the climb. Um, so I, yeah, the team element's a bit, an important part. Another part of it is that Zwift has essentially offloaded high end racing to WTRL. They, I mean, they've contracted with them. Zwift is paying WTRL to handle all this. And Zwift still organizes, you know, in quotes, they organize races every week, but it's just, they're just one-off scratch races. Here, there's eight laps of Crit City. They're not, you know, they're not overseeing it and calculating points and stuff. It's just, just a basic race. The ZRL is where the real racing happens. And Zwift has offloaded that to them. And Zwift has, has advertised, you know, they, they've sent out email blasts to the whole Zwift community and said, join ZR, Zwift Racing League. This is where it's happening. And anytime Zwift does that, anytime they get behind an event like that, you'll get tons of participation because they've just emailed their whole user base. At least I assume they sent it to the whole user base, you know, hundreds of thousands of people inviting them to do this thing. So that's, that's another part. It's just that exposure because they're not doing that for other race series. Sure. They're doing that just for WTRL. Yeah. And the, the uh, points based thing is fun. Like for instance, the race we did today, yes, there are yeah. points at the finish line, but there were multiple sprint points you know, 10 deep that counted for points and that all adds up going to, you know, to your team's tally. And then there was, you know, there's the fastest across the line, which is how you'd normally think of uh, race calculation. Then also the fastest through segment, which, which yes. counts for points. So there's, I think that, that makes it engaging. If you're not racing at the front, there's still yeah. a reason to st stay, stay in there, stick with it because it's all counting towards your, your team effort. And I think that, that's an, another part that I enjoy about the ZRL. Yeah, the ZRL races are much more strategic than than most than the standard Swift race because of because of those intermediate points. Like I, yeah, I had guys on my team this week who who were back in the chase group, and they're going, "Okay, we're back here in thirtieth place. Hey, dude, do, do you want me to lead you out? We'll try to get a fastest through segment on this." So yeah, it, it keeps everybody engaged. Um, the last thing I would say, secret sauce wise, is that ZRL does better than, than Zwift does at enforcing categories it, to some extent. It's mm. not perfect, but mm. a typical Zwift race, the way it's set up right now, anybody can sign up for any category. So I'm, I'm a B racer. I could sign up as a D, race it, and come in first, and I might not even get an indication on screen anywhere that I did anything wrong, and it'll show me in first place at the end. On a, that's never going to happen in a ZRL race because of how they've structured it. There's there's all these checkpoints and stuff. So and racers know that. So racers know they're not going to they're not going to put in all this work to show up to a race and have it blown up by somebody who's sandbagging and going off the front. So I think that's important too. So all those things, I, I think that's the combination. There's several things that combine together, and then you just have the proven track record. You know, we're in our fourth season now, and they they just keep on keep on improving. I think just iterative improvements. Yeah. Super fun. So I want to talk about two more things. One, your personal 
setup and then your thoughts on some of the the new new routes and new worlds so you know behind you you've got the wahoo kicker bike for your cousin and you're on a roubaix mounted to a mounted to a kicker five so the the latest i guess you call it kicker 2020 so the latest wahoo kicker um I've ridden a lot of different smart trainers, but I, I like the feel of the kicker more than any of them. I feel like the the inertia on it is more realistic than any other ones. Uh, so kicker five, uh, I am the Wahoo, the headwind fan, because I really like being able to have it low speed and high speed. For today's race, it was high speed the entire time. Um, I have a, a desk. It's like the Wahoo desk, but it's the knockoff from Amazon. It's like 90 bucks instead of 250. Yeah. Uh, and then I run it all. I have a, I run it on a Windows PC and a, a, on a big screen TV because I think I think having a big screen for racing is super important. Much more immersive, so it's just more fun. But you're also just able to see stuff really well. And of course, I, uh, I shouldn't neglect to say I have a rocker plate as well. I love rocker plates. Uh-huh. So yeah, they're on a. It's on a rocker plate. What type rocker plate? Velocity rockers, uh, and it's actually a full motion rocker where so it's it goes four and forward, backward. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get, I'm, I've kind of become the rocker plate review guy. Uh, I, I think because, because DC Rainmaker and Shane GP Llama, neither of them really likes rocker plates. <laughs> they're both like, well, they're, they're okay if you want a little movement, but we don't really use them. Um, so you, a, a lot of the rocker plate guys will reach out to me and go, Hey, we've got a new design. Do you want one? And they'll send it to me. So I get to, in fact, I just swapped one out yesterday. I finished a review. So. But yeah, uh, Velocity Rocker, it's a really good one. And I, I just posted a review, I think, last week on the one that I'm using. But I love them. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how people ride on Zwift without them. I, my hunch is, and here's my hunch with Rocker Plates, is the people who who don't like them are people who spent years riding without a Rocker Plate. And then they get on one. And it feels weird. Like, I'm not going to lie. If if you're used to a static setup and then you get on a rocket plate, you're going to be like, oh, wait, this moves weird. And, but if you if you give it time and and practice it a little bit, you'll realize that it's a much more natural movement. You can get out of the saddle and you can rock the bike like you would outdoors. And it's, it's not perfect, but I'd say it's 90% what you get outdoors, which is a lot better than 0%, which is what you get on the static setup and much more comfortable. Yeah, and it seems like it would reduce friction somewhat, and that when you're riding outside, your your bike isn't absolutely ninety degrees straight up and down, and yeah. you know all the pivot point being on your sit bones, you know, like your bike will move underneath you, as, and then you're inside, and your bike's not going anywhere, and all that that pivoting's happening. Yeah, yeah, at the yeah, shorts, it's, it's much more comfortable on the tushy. I, I I'm a guy that likes to stand up, so like even just in a casual like a group ride, I will just uh, I'll hang out and I'll stand up and you know just give my give my butt a rest and a rocker plate allows me to do do you think you can get more leverage with the rocker plate like using your arms in a sprint for instance is that something you've been able to notice or measure or is yeah, it just a comfort I, I i haven't been able to measure it I've, I've thought about trying to do measurements but um we need laboratory tests on this eric we need science we here but I would definitely say you, you do get the leverage. I mean, pulling, like you think of a sprint and you're pulling your arms up, all that thing, or, or even standing up, you, you are able to pull pull against your pedal stroke. And I think that's important. You and I were on a call with Zwift yesterday about some of the new world and new features coming out. Nyoko, 
Neokio? How I'm not sure how are they how are they pronouncing this? It's like a a, a spin Neokio, on Tokyo. So Neokio. Yeah. Lots of neon, lots of flashing lights, lots of people dancing in the streets. What are you excited about or skeptical about with uh, this this latest coming release? Uh, well, I'm I'm always excited to have new tarmac on Swift. Everybody always is. Uh, people love to explore, uh, love new routes, all that stuff. Um, and and I'm excited that it's it seems like the art team. Um, they kind of raise the bar every single time they release a new world. It's That's like, incredible now. It's like, oh, this is the best world that Swift has ever had. And then they, they release something. Oh, this is the best. And and they have with this one too. This one's in um, what they call it, perma night, where it's always nighttime because the city lights are so cool. They put a lot of work into all these kind of this new lighting tech, I think, in their engine. And it's reflecting on kind of wet looking roads. So just a cool look that we really haven't seen before. A very, very urban, very like Tokyo, but even more lit up than standard Tokyo, I think. Um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, the skeptical side, I think, would be people people want more roads because it's only going to be, I think it's going to be about 30K based on what what they said a couple of days ago. I think they said it was about the same as what's what was in the Umezi map. So 30K, you know, 18 miles, it's not a whole, not a whole ton of roads. Um, so you'll probably get probably get some folks complaining and saying we wish we had more than that uh but 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 it looks very well thought out very detailed so you know it's hard to hard to fault them for i mean do do we want a bunch of roads that are super boring or do we want something that's visually you know really well done it's kind of it's the decision you have to make i guess and it is gorgeous i mean i've often said to people that the main attraction for me in zwift is not the visuals but it's the interaction like i don't care how it looks it's just it's the interaction is that's the that's the magic however as you said like each iteration keeps getting better and better and now there's just so much great eye and brain candy in in this last setup it is pretty neat just for yeah having an easy spin and and looking at all the easter eggs that are popping up in there so i was impressed by how well how well it looks yeah it's one of those i mean Zwift is not just one thing and you, they, they can't just focus on one thing. So they have to, they have to have good visuals. They have to have good interaction. You know, they, they've got to have good workout programs and good racing and good free riding. And it's, it's become such a huge, a huge global platform. I mean, they can't even, we were having a discussion with a couple of folks from HQ a few days ago where we were just talking about the language they use in game where, Hey, this sounds really American. <laughs> what about the Brits? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to, so, yeah, there's a there. They have to attack stuff on multiple fronts in order to uh, to execute well. And that's and that's a challenge. And I think a lot of Zwifters complain because they don't see that they don't see that full picture. They don't see the the stats. They don't understand that the majority of the users aren't even in the aren't even in the U.S. Well, Eric, I've very much enjoyed chatting with you, and very much appreciated reading your site, ZwiftInsider.com, over the years. So, thank you very much for both of those, and I will look forward to uh, reading more and racing you again next week. But in the meantime, there's on Fridays it's the Sprint of Palooza. I will, I will jump in there. Yeah, hop in then. It'd be it'd be great to have you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It was it was fun. All right, folks, that does it for this week. I am Ben Delaney, and I thank you for listening to the Vela News Podcast.